Sinners, once again, it's Monday. It's another episode of the Sin Everyday Podcast. I am your host, Bryce Reed, as always. I'm watching 366 movies in 2024, and uh, this uh, podcast that you're listening to right now is a weekly diary of all of the movies that I've watched in my progress towards this lofty goal of 366 movies. If you've been joining me every single week, thank you so much. Welcome back. Phase six. Can you believe it? Six weeks in. We're uh, in a wonderfully good place. And uh, I'm ready to talk about all of it. As it stands, on February the 12th, 2024, we are 62 movies in. We've reached, which is crazy to me to think about, that we're here at the 12th day of the second month and we're we're at two months worth of movies. We've made such great progress on our uh, on our way there. I've I watched some phenomenal movies this week, some classic movies, some horrible, horrible recent movies, some uh, some wonderful recent movies as well. And I'm ready to talk about all of them. 12 movies. And we're now at 62 total for the year. Uh, as of... Uh, um, let's see. 31 plus 12 is uh, 43. Um, so we're almost 20 ahead. 20 days ahead of schedule here. At the beginning of February, we're making great time, making great progress. We're banking movies where we can, and uh, and I'm having a wonderful experience with it. I wanted to say something that I've noticed. About, oh, I had like a revelation this week. I was able to make wild progress despite the fact that like some days I, I really didn't watch two movies, Um, but I was able to make incredible progress this week because I cracked the code, you know, for a long time. I was like, man, how do, how does somebody like Phantasm, the King of movies, my friend find the time to watch 500 movies. And maybe this is not the way that he's done it. I, I wouldn't try to put words on what his uh, technique is or, or guess how he's doing it. But I, it didn't occur to me that you don't have to have, the entire runtime of the film ready to go in order to start watching a movie. You can start watching a movie at one time. You can pause that movie to go and do the thing that you need to do and then come back. And therefore, you know, I found myself in a lot of cases, I'm like, oh, I only have 45 minutes before I got to go do this other thing. So I can't watch a movie. I'll have to come back later and stay up a little later than necessary to watch the movie. But what I, you know, or, oh, I won't have time after either. I'll only have 45 minutes after, you know, but what I didn't realize is, oh, you could watch the 45 minutes now and then pause it and come back. That seems, I guess now that I'm saying it out loud, it seems stupid that it took me so long to realize that. But uh, having realized it now, it, it completely changed how I was able to do things. Now, most of these, most of these I watched through all the way. That being said, this week. 
and uh, and didn't do big pauses in them. But it finally occurred to me that I could, and I did with one in particular, and uh, that we'll talk about. Uh, but I, I, you know, I really tried to focus this week on watching some uh, some classics, some uh, some movies that I was surprised that I, I, you know, I really hadn't seen, and uh, and try to get those on the list. Which you know, I've been trying to do anyway, but I, I think I'm I managed to do to really find some good ones, or or to really find some uh, some ones that I think people will be surprised by this week. Unless you're following along on all the links in the description, and then you won't be surprised at all because you'll you'll get updates essentially in real time the most updated you know instagram gets updated when it gets updated uh but if you're following on letterboxd uh you're getting it up to the date things get logged immediately so that i do not forget about them and uh that's the place to do it there's also a playlist over there of all the movies that i've watched so far um so you can follow that stay updated with that uh again all the links are in the description um but if you're new to the show, uh, thank you for uh, for coming along on this journey. You can go back and listen to uh, to the other episodes where I talk about uh, all the movies that I've watched this year. I've had some great times so far. It's been an eye-opening and wonderful journey that I've been able to share with all of you. Uh, but the place to do uh, that is uh, in the past, in the future. Right now, we're in the present, and we're talking about... Uh, these uh 12 movies that i watched this week 12 movies in seven days uh a hellish and nightmarish pace but i hope eventually i'll get to the point where i'm so absurdly ahead of schedule uh that i can finally relax i don't know that that time will ever come honestly i uh people they shoot uh tv shows at me or whatever or suggest rewatching something i've already seen and i'm like but i ain't got the fucking time i'm running out of time i'm under the gun here and i'm not i'm so far ahead of schedule and i need to relax but i can't uh you know until my work is done here that's how i'm feeling about it at this point but um I, yeah i want to talk about the week I want to get into the movies here. I started out Monday night. I got a DVD a couple of weeks ago. I went my local uh, uh, media store, physical media store, Bullman's Music, uh, was uh, they changed over their um, their deals, their DVD deals that they had uh, going, their their bargain bin. And I got a lot of good things out of the bargain bin that I've been watching over the last few weeks. But I pulled one this week and finally watched it that I hadn't seen before. 1988's Beetlejuice. Let me tell you, nothing bothers me more in this whole world than the fact that this movie's title is spelled with a J. It's spelled the way you'd think that Beetlejuice is spelled and then you get into the movie and it's not spelled that way. I don't know why that is. I've spent my whole week obsessively, frantically searching the internet for an answer to why they spell it differently in the actual movie than they do in the title. And I have not found what I believe to be an adequate answer for triggering my OCD to this extreme. It really bothers me. And it really bothered me throughout the film. But let me tell you. The film's exquisite. It's amazing. It's an incredible movie. 
and uh, it deserves everything that it's got. It feels so wildly fresh and irreverent even now, so many years later. And we'll talk about it because I, I watched an, another movie this week that was very much, you know, Beetlejuice uh, walked so this movie could, you know, walk at a similar pace beside it. Um, and, uh, God, I, I like the I like the movie a whole lot. Every, uh, every turn that it made was really cool. All the characters were really fun and interesting. And, um, I, you know, I gave it four stars. I think the movie falls just short of being profound, but I also don't think it's aiming for that. Um, I definitely wish that I had watched it earlier because it's so it's got that 90s fun to it. You know, even though it's technically an 88 movie, it feels very it feels like a lot of those sort of 90s movies that we got kind of uh, Jumanji, Casper, the Friendly Ghost kind of uh, fun adventure films of the 90s. And uh, Michael Keaton is fantastic. Michael Keaton across the board is underrated. Quite frankly, he's awesome. He's so cool. Um, Winona Ryder in the movie, everyone makes it, you know, you go to, uh, to the letterbox reviews for this movie and it's just a bunch of thirsty men and women after a goth princess Winona Ryder in this movie, Catherine O'Hara looking good too. I feel people sleeping on Catherine O'Hara in this movie. She's looking great. Um, and, uh, the classic scenes are uh, classic for a reason. The, uh, the, uh, dance scene at the table is amazing. A lot of the humor still lands, which is, you know, there are movies coming out now where none of the humor lands. So the fact that a lot of the humor in this movie still lands is, uh, is, uh, amazing. And the production design in a lot of places is like, um, charming interesting it's cheap it's made cheaply and looks crappy but it looks crappy in a way that seems intentional and not you know um yeah i really i enjoyed the movie a lot and i i really wasn't expecting to like it as much as i did and i like old movies but uh for some reason i was like oh yeah it'll be it'll be fine it'll be what it is but it's a great movie and uh i enjoyed it enjoyed it quite a bit um and then the next day on Tuesday, that was all I watched on Monday. You know, on Monday, I record the show. If you're listening to it now, I record the show on Monday. And then uh, I really only got time to watch one movie at night. Uh, you know, otherwise, I'm really stretching it. I don't really want to do that. So Monday night, I usually watch one thing. Um, but Tuesday, I watched Dune. I had time. I had the day off. On Tuesday. So I watched a Dune. Uh, a 2021 version of Dune. I gave this movie three stars. Because I think it's incredibly well made. But honestly. I was probably being generous. I think the movie is. Is okay. Um, it's a lot of. Very attractive people. Um, in the desert. I can't recall a single detail of the plot of this movie at all. I at no point felt like a hook was set 
to have any sort of interest in any of these characters or what they were doing. Um, a lot, I, the entire movie felt like a huge lore dump to me, which is supposedly in keeping with the writing. Um, you know, I have friends who loved this movie. Um, and I have friends who particularly loved this movie because they enjoy the book. Um, it does feel like the experience of reading a mid seventies fucking, uh, science fiction tome, you know, where there's not so much a story as there is just like a bunch of lore ideas and it just dumps lore on you until you give up or finish the book. And, um, you know, it's hard to tell because this movie is split into two parts. I wanted to watch it because the second part is coming out. And I was like, oh, you know, if I like it, I'll go see it in the theaters. I'm not sure that I'll go see part two in the theaters. I didn't, I mean, like maybe if I'm, you know, down there, I guess maybe it'd be cool to catch it on the IMAX showing. But I also, I don't know how I feel about supporting a movie that feels the way this movie does. I guess the reason I feel good about supporting it, about having watched it is that I, you know, I want to support something that according to people who like it so accurately portrays um, what's going on uh, uh, in the source material, you know, doesn't really stray from the source material at all. I think that's great, but boy, oh boy, I just didn't care about any of the characters in the movie. I, it was a lot of just, attractive people cold staring at each other over the, uh, the the destiny of house Atreus or what it's like. So fucking nerdy. And, uh, and I can get into some nerd shit, but this was like, this was wild, man. I was like, fucking holy shit. This is what we're doing. Um, you know, so dude, it's, you know, it's fucking whatever, dude. <laughs> I, Th- uh, three stars because the lighting is great. It's close to the subject material. Uh, the costumes work cool. You know, I, I felt like it was really well made for what it is. I just, I don't think it's my type of thing. The worms were cool. The sandworms, they're big, uh, big old fucking sandworms in the movie. Anyway, I, uh, the night, the day that I watched Dune, I watched uh, Raging Bull that night. I had a DVD of Raging Bull that I got in a grab bag. Was it a DVD? A DVD. I had a DVD of Raging Bull that I got in a grab bag from the Bull Moose in uh, Biddeford. And um, I'd never seen Raging Bull before. Uh, Raging Bull, uh, Martin Scorsese, I believe. And Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro plays a... You know, when I'm watching the movie Raging Bull, I'm sitting there thinking... The way this story is structured is really weird. I the point is I didn't know it was a biopic. I thought it was like just a like a Rocky type thing, you know. Um, and so I'm sitting there the whole time, like, man, there isn't really a story to this movie. Stuff just keeps happening, 
you know, which is a theme. We'll talk about it later. But so it's just sort of like a series of events keeps happening as this dude gets older. And it doesn't really seem to have a narrative focus around particular themes or anything. Um, it feels like a biopic. And I'm sitting there the whole time being like, this feels like a biopic. And then I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool that it's like a narrative film that's built like a biopic. So it makes it feel more realistic. You know, it's like a play on biopic. Uh, but then it turns out it's a biopic. So I <laughs> I didn't realize that until really late in the film. And I was like, oh, it's about a real guy. Um, this feels like a movie. Maybe if I rewatched it, I'd like it more. This was a two-star movie for me. I think it's okay. I sat at the end of the movie feeling like, I, why did I need to know any of this? You know, I, there's no redemption for the character at all. He's a dirtbag from the beginning. And over time, he consistently displays that he's a dirtbag. And then at the end of the movie, he's a dirtbag. It's just a dude being a dirtbag for like two hours. There aren't really any lessons learned or redemption arc or anything like none of that. It's just a dude who's a dirtbag. Even at the end of the movie, he's like blaming other people for why it didn't work out for him or whatever. And maybe that's kind of the point that, you know, and it's like, uh, that's how you're supposed to feel about this guy is that, uh, but I, uh, I ended up leaving the film being like, what if the point of the movie is that this dude is a dirtbag, why, why did we make him? a movie about this dude's life where he's just a fucking dirtbag to everybody. And then at the end he, uh, I mean, I guess he kind of gets a comeuppance to a certain extent, (laughs) you know, life doesn't go well for him near the end of the movie. So there's that sort of exploration of like, what if you made a, a biopic about a villain? I guess that's fairly interesting, but not in a way that made me enjoy my time with the film at all. It's just a really uh, a crappy dude just being a crappy dude for fucking two hours. And uh, at the end, I felt like, well, why? You know? But, you know, two stars. Two stars is okay. That's an okay movie. But, uh, you know, I got the DVD in a grab bag. It was just a spindle of loose DVDs. And uh, I didn't keep it, you know. Uh, Raging Bull, pretty easy to find. And uh, when I was done with the disc, I uh, discarded it. Because I I wasn't going to need it again. I think maybe I should get, like, a big wallet to put uh, grab bag discs in. Probably be better for uh, everything, you know, better from a collection standpoint and then just better from an environmental standpoint. It's like, why am I, you know, seems silly to me. But the next day, I only watched one movie. And uh, so I got on Max looking for um, Phantom of the Opera. Uh, Gerard Butler, Phantom of the Opera, the movie. I haven't seen the movie. I've seen the uh, 25th uh, anniversary 
live in London show. Um, I'm familiar, of course, with the show, but I've never seen the movie, the Gerard Butler movie from 2006, 2009, whenever that came out. So I wanted to watch it. And last I knew it was on HBO Max or Max as as it is now. Um, But it's not anymore. It's not on Max anymore. It's supremely disappointing. And uh, so, you know, I instead I was like, well, I'm already in a musical mood. And I saw they have this uh, Dick's the musical is what it was called. Um, And so I was like, oh, I'll watch that. I watch. Uh, I'll sit down and watch Dicks the Musical, <laughs> and I, you know, I assumed it was going to be um, queer friendly, not just because it's called Dicks, but also because it's called the Musical. Um, and I was down to watch a sort of uh, a LGBT focused film or whatever. I don't know that I would call Dicks the Musical LGBT focused. Um, I'd call it really bad. It was I. Uh, I was blown away by this movie in so many ways, but the way that it it confused and impressed me the most was that anybody with the authority to do so read this script and said, "Yeah, how about eight million dollars?" They made they spent eight million dollars on this movie. That's crazy, and I thought it would be fairly decent. Nathan Lane is in it. And apparently that's not like a a good barometer of quality for a movie or whatever. But I just, I, uh, I assumed he wouldn't be in the movie. It was going to be fucking terrible. It was really bad. It was really bad. It was really bad in, uh, the horrible problematic left turn that it makes at the last minute in the name of uh, comedy. It's really trying to be funny. It's a comedy written by, Two people that I don't think are um, terribly funny and no names too. So like I assume that like, and maybe it's somebody's kid or something like the, I guess that would make sense, but I assumed it would be like a, somebody notable was involved with it and that's why it managed to get made. But like Nathan Lane's the most notable person. He just plays a part in the movie. He's not, a, he's not a writer or a producer director or anything. He's just, he's just in the movie. I was I was blown away by how weird and bad this movie was. And an A24 film too. A24 was like $8 million, please. Please give us the movie that is outlined in this script. And in return, we will give you $8 million. And there's a point, there's like a blooper in the in the um in the credits, they roll bloopers in the credits like it's a Jackie Chan movie. It's pretty funny. Uh, and uh, one of the dudes who wrote it, it's written by the two guys who star as the leads in the movie. One of the dudes who wrote it is like, uh, he laughs and the other one's like, why are you laughing? And he's like, because they're letting us make this movie. And I couldn't agree more. I was like, wow. And then like they show like, phone footage of the like two man version of this that they did in some like black box theater in New York city. It's just so like snake eating its own tail, uh, tiny house, uh, Broadway culture thing. The songs aren't particularly good either. 
I really, and there's a lot of humor that's just like, it goes from like offensive to like bizarre to like just, uh, you know, absolute fucking nonsense. And I, and I, uh, it didn't have anything to say. Was it worse than Jay and Silent Bob reboot? I don't know. I feel like I somehow cringed less during this movie. Although I, the other big <clears throat> thing I didn't like about this movie, I found both of the leads of this film <clears throat> to be fiercely unlikable in their performances, in their, their, I hated both of their faces. Um, they, they did the running gags. Every time the running gags would come up, I would be like, what? There's maybe a couple of gags in the entire movie that I thought were funny because of how sort of breakneck left turny they were. Um, but yeah, man, maybe like two laughs in the whole movie. Uh, one star for Dixon musical. I was, uh, you know, it's funny because Megan the Stallion's in the movie. She's got like a whole rap that she does in the movie. But even that, if they wrote it for her. It's bad. It's like, it's so wasted. The end, there's a, everybody who's in this movie who's actually talented is wasted for being in this movie. It's really unfortunate. I was, I, I tuned in hoping to have a fun maybe somewhat gay time. And uh, I was in for that. I was like, hell yeah. You know, this will be weird. There'll probably be wieners everywhere. That'll be funny. You know, it'll be like, wow, I get on the podcast at the end of the week and be like, let me tell you if you love, if you love wieners flopping around everywhere, I got a movie for you to watch. And also uh, uh, toe tapping tunes, but none of there really wasn't, there wasn't a single wiener in the whole film. To my recollection, and the songs, not great, and the humor, rough, dude. Really, it was it was tough to get through. But I I have no right. To, did I think Dick's the musical was going to be good? Probably not. You know, so like I, I don't. I'm not sitting here being like, you know, they told me it was going to be good. Uh, no, it was uh, very clearly going to be not good. And I watched it, and it was not good. But uh, it really took the wind out of my sails. I wasn't able to watch anything for the rest of the night, unfortunately. I didn't watch anything until the next day. When I watched 1978's Superman the movie. Um, I, I really liked Superman the movie. Uh, I think it gets a three stars from, from me. There were some things that shocked me about this movie. First of all, the like incandescent suits that they're wearing on Superman's home planet. Super cool. The fact that they did that all in camera, like they're just weirdly reflective suits that give off this light. So sick. Marlon Brando playing Christopher Reeve's dad. So cool. Really fun to see. The uh, fucking this movie. Superman the movie is written by Mario Puzo. People, Mario Puzo, of course, most notable for having written the novel, The Godfather, on which The Godfather parts one, two, and assumedly Coda, the death of Michael Corleone, are based on Godfather part three, 
whatever you're going to call it. And um, so I was like, wow, Mario Puzo, the fucking Godfather guy was like, yeah, I'll write Superman the movie. And let me tell you, this movie, Superman the movie is so much hornier than the Godfather. I watched the Godfather later in the week because I realized I hadn't seen that. It's so much hornier. Superman, the movie, Lois Lane, the entire time is on the verge of being like, Superman, I want you to rail me right now. Uh, Like, at every turn in the movie, she's, she's down. And, uh, and then Clark shows up and she's like, yeah, whatever, Clark, leave me alone. You're a weirdo. You're a fucking weirdo, bro. And, uh, I thought I've I had a great time with it. I'm looking forward to Superman 2. I'm told Superman 2 is the best one. And so I'm looking forward to watching that down the road. But there's a bunch of cuts. So I got you know, that's kind of the annoying thing about legacy films is that there's usually a bunch of cuts and you have to pick the right one, you know, otherwise you're kind of SOL. I don't like that. I don't like how, being forced uh, to do that. Yeah, I have to do a bunch of research to figure out which version of the movie I'm supposed to watch. Even with Superman, there's a, you know, there's three or four cuts of the movie. I watched the one that's on Max, for what it's worth, which I think is probably the theatrical cut. But I know there's a, a cut of this movie that's three hours long. I guess they they added a bunch of footage to the movie to make it. Um, a two night television event of an hour and a half each. And as a result, uh, there's a three, there's like a three fucking hour cut of this movie that exists out there that people like, but, uh, people, you know, only suggested if you really like Superman, the movie and Superman, the movie was three stars for me. It was good. It was fun. It was interesting. You know, my brother was in the room, for a little bit of when I was watching Superman, the movie. And he's like, it's so interesting that Christopher Reeve is like a regular looking dude in the movie. Like he's Superman, you know, but he's not. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's 1978. So if they had made this movie six, seven years later, it would have been like Arnold Schwarzenegger is Superman. And if I can Dolph Lundgren is Superman, you know what I mean? It would have been, a different time but you know like rocky's not like fucking out of his mind ripped in the first one but then by you know by the time we're talking about rocky three rocky four he's but yeah he's roided to the fucking gills he's fucking juiced like nobody's business because that was how it ended up being pretty soon after that i mean even the movie that i'm going to talk about that i watched after so after superman I'm just going to move on. After Superman, I watched, um, you know, I, I don't want to move on just yet though. I will. I, I will oh, put a pin in that, but, uh, cause there was one thing I wanted to say, but I can't remember it anyway. So I watched a roadhouse, 1989's roadhouse on recommendation from, uh, from an old friend of mine, I watched 1989's Roadhouse, and they're putting out a new one. 
it's unfortunate. I guess uh, it's going through some uh, issues with the director. The director is very upset about uh, Amazon having purchased MGM and uh, having changed Roadhouse from a theatrical presentation to an Amazon exclusive. Very upset about the whole situation. Um, but he's making a remake of Roadhouse with a, maybe Pattinson is doing Roadhouse. Gyllenhaal. And Conor McGregor is in it? That's going to be funny. That's going to be fucking weird as shit. Anyway, uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal doing Roadhouse. And uh, oh, they changed some stuff here. That's interesting. They're making him an, an ex-UFC fighter to sort of ground it in reality. It'll be interesting. I'm excited to watch the trailer having watched Roadhouse. Roadhouse is great. Roadhouse stars uh, Patrick Suaze. And Patrick Suaze is, uh, you know, he's ripped in the movie. It's 1989, so he's ripped. And uh, it's a fantastic action movie. You know, and sort of at every turn, you're like, oh, man, Sam Elliott's in it, too. Sam Elliott does a great job in this movie. Um, and at every turn, you're you're ready for the character to either cut and run or go fight the bad guy. Um, and kind of either uh, what I loved about the movie is how long in the movie him just leaving would be kind of acceptable until some turns happen sort of in the in the back. uh the back 45 that, uh, that really, you know, he has to end up having a, a head on collision with the bad guy in the movie. And, uh, I like, you know, I enjoyed roadhouse a lot Four stars. Great film. Um, great eighties action film, but it's not over the top. I thought the fights were cool. Um, and uh, it surprised me how late into the 80s this movie felt because it feels it feels like an earlier 80s thing, you know. But Suaze does a great job and uh, uh, Sam Elliott does a great job. And the story was uh, really drew me in with this one. I'm excited to see what Gyllenhaal could do with it. I don't know who's directing. Roadhouse 2024. Doug Lyman? I've heard that name before. <sighs> Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. Swingers. Fair game. Fair enough. Jason Bourne. What else? Show me show me this man's filmography. Okay. Who directed Swingers, The Born Identity, Chaos Walking, Jumper, Go, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm assuming that's not the new one. I'm assuming that's the Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I don't think it's the original or the one that just came out with uh, Don Glover. Um, Fair Game, Locked Down, Edge of Tomorrow, The Wall, American Made. Interesting. He's doing Roadhouse. He's real mad at uh, Amazon slash MGM. 
Understandably so. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not sympathetic. I get it. But I like that movie a lot. I got on a train afterwards. I went uh, to visit family for the weekend. And while I was there, I sat down and watched. Eighth grade. Um, I'm just, I want to make a, a, a change to this in my notes because I'm looking at it now and realizing that I misspelled the word eighth to an embarrassing degree. And, uh, if it comes up later that I did this and I see it, I'm going to be like, I knew that was wrong when I looked at it that one time. Now I'm, now that I'm looking at it, I think maybe I didn't. No, I didn't. I spelled it correctly. I'm just, I'm being, I'm being crazy now. Look, part of this journey is uh, meticulous note taking. I've done a lot of note taking. This is a tangent that we're going to go on. I've I've note taken a lot of ways. Initially, I started out this journey and I was writing down this information, the title of the movie, the year it came out, the day I watched it the star rating I gave it and the source that I got it from. These are the things that I write down and I was writing them down on sticky notes and I was putting them on the wall of my bedroom. My bedroom is not small. This isn't a flex. I'm just telling you what the situation is. It's not a small bedroom, but very quickly the sticky note situation got out of hand. There were so many sticky notes and there was not going to be enough space for 366 movies. It just what there wasn't going to be enough space and I was worried about it. So I switched to doing it on note cards and I had a a physical pen and paper diary that I was writing these in. But then honestly, the note cards got kind of untenable. And also it's just, you know, I was doing all of these things to keep it hand. I am partial to handwriting with stuff like this. I feel like it feels more methodical feels more artistic. I, you know, I'm not above being needlessly kitschy, but I, so I was writing it on the note cards and then it's just not a good way to organize the information at all. And I was doing all of these things to avoid just making a fucking spreadsheet like a, like a human being, you know? And then I was like, ah, I'll fucking, I'll make a spreadsheet. So I made a spreadsheet and now I have the spreadsheet, but I still, I love being able to handwrite about the movies after I watch them. I wish I had like a real movie journal, but honestly, I looked at a bunch of movie journals online and none of them had enough fucking pages for me to do this show. And I wanted it to all be in one book. So I have just a regular journal that I'm, uh, that I write the information that I need in. And uh, I was like, fine, I'll do the spreadsheet. I'll give up the journal, but I can't, I can't. And I, 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 so I'm keeping the journal still for my own purposes, I guess. I don't know. Mostly I don't have anything else to do with this journal that I bought. So I'm going to keep doing it in the journal. And then I also, I got the spreadsheet. And so uh, periodically, if I come across a mistake in my spreadsheet and my notes, I'm going to fix it. As soon as I see it and I don't have a choice. Do I do some light editing on this show? It may surprise you Uh, kind of, but not really is part of this show for me leaving in these uh, open 
rambling thoughts about the process of going through this. Yes. Uh, in fact, I would argue it's most of the show. Uh, it's just just a, a, a rambling about the process of getting to 366 movies. So enjoy, because this is what you signed up for. Um, but I watched Eighth Grade. Eighth Grade directed by Bo Burnham in 2018. Bo Burnham, who has uh, disappeared in a cryptic fashion at this point uh, after uh, dropping inside to massive critical acclaim. And look, I graduated high school in 2010. I'm very aware of Bo Burnham as a figure, um, both as a comedian and later uh, as just sort of a general um, performance artist. I'm not quite uh, uh, like a, a what I would consider a devout fan. Uh, but I thought, he, you know, his kind of earlier stuff was uh, uh, cute and funny and like a weird uh, eccentric sort of way. And I thought um, Inside was uh, everything that everybody else thought it was uh, cool and kind of beautiful and profound and silly and uh, well-made, introspective. Uh, I thought this movie was really spectacular, really spectacular to the point that I'm like, it's fucking 2024 and this dude hasn't directed another movie. I think he wrote this movie too. And it is an unflinching uh, portrait of what it is to be, uh, you know, an eighth grade girl. At least I hope that's how it speaks to, you know, I haven't sat down and talked listlessly with uh, women about their experience with this movie. And who am I to say if it accurately represents their experience? But I mean, I found a lot of, a lot of what was in the movie relatable, which maybe isn't great that I, as a, as a, a white uh, man found it uh, very relatable. But maybe there are just some unspoken sort of human truths in this movie. He does a lot of really interesting, daring things. She, uh, there's so much acne in this movie. And it's so wonderful to see. A lot of her reactions are very real. Um, a lot of the way other people uh, treat her is very real. Um, reality. To present reality is... Uh, in a way that doesn't feel depressing or uh, annoying, you know? Because you can present reality in a movie in a way that's like, yeah, okay, dude, I under- I know that life is like this. I don't want to see it. If I wanted to see this, I would just, I wouldn't be watching a movie. I'd just be looking at my fucking life because this is what it's like. But uh, that's not how I felt with this movie. I It had a lot of really wonderful things to say, and you just can't help but feel you know i'm not a person who has children but there's a a part near the end of the movie where the the dad and the daughter have a conversation this isn't really a spoiler you kind of expect it from a movie like this but the dad has a conversation about how much he loves being this little girl's dad and uh not only is it a fantastic performance from both of them and you really believe it 
but you can see it's like who wouldn't want to be this kid's dad this kid rules she rules she's awesome you know and you just totally it's a character study but you just you fall in love with the character watching the movie you're like she's so she's so cool you know she's trying to be uh she's just trying to be confident and and trying to figure stuff out and and it's a joy to watch her try to figure stuff out it really gives you that feeling of um of parenthood you know like you feel like the dad you feel like you're trying to connect but at the same time you're just fascinated watching this person sort of sort of figure things out you know it was really cool i i and uh i don't think there's anything quite like it so that i mean that was the five star film of the week that was the one that got to five stars is because i feel like it is profound i feel like it says things that i've never seen a movie say before it says a lot of things that i have seen movies say before but it's so brilliantly well made that it's really a bummer that i mean he you know he directed inside but inside's kind of a he sort of went back to performance art but it's like he really i want to see him direct more movies maybe he for all i know he fucking hated it maybe he didn't like doing it but the other thing that the that the movie does, which is something that I've heard him as a figure express before, and it really does make me think, you know, as somebody who's who's uh, reaching the age where beginning a journey of uh, of parenthood is like not um, totally beyond the uh, the realm of expected possibility at this point. It is like. Um, sort of a major theme of the movie is that social media is probably not a positive impact on anybody if we're being real, but especially on children, like children, it's, it's not a good thing for children to have to be involved with or any of that. Like it's real, it's, uh, it's really not a good a good thing for them to have that kind of access and you know like an adult adults more or less use social media cognizant of the sort of awful sides of it the things that can happen from it that are terrible and there's so much to that that it's very difficult to imagine but it's also like so the world we live in you know it's so uh, social media is so central to the, the the world we're living in right now that it's it's a dangerous thing to put in the hands of a child but it's also to exclude them from it is to exclude them from from everything that's happening you know you also don't want to do that but at the same time it seems in, like an incredibly toxic thing for children to be growing up with. And, uh, and the movie, uh, doesn't come out and ring your, you know, again, it's incredibly well-directed, so it doesn't come out and like really hammer you with that to a degree where it's like, yeah, dude, I, I, I know what you're saying. I get it. Um, but it does it in, in some sort of wonderfully nuanced ways that are like, oh yeah, that's, it's probably, a fucking mind job 
for kids to deal with that. It's not always easy for adults, you know, like, so just to have your, all of the social nuances just following you around all the time. It's, uh, it's, it's not positive. And, uh, it kind of seems like it's, this movie was made in 2018. It, It doesn't seem like it's gotten better. It seems like it's probably gotten way worse. Uh, but I watched it. So five stars. That that movie's on Max. If you haven't seen it, absolutely go and see that movie. Uh, search it out on Max. Watch it on Max. But I popped over to Paramount Plus. I wanted to watch some Paramount Plus movies. Paramount Plus had a movie called Copland, and uh, I watched it on the tenth. Copland starring uh, Sylvester Stallone. Harvey Keitel, uh, Michael Rappaport was in it. Ray Liotta, um, the late, great Ray Liotta. Um, a ton of Sopranos actors. Tony Sirico's in it. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 Annabelle uh, Ciora, who's also in... Um, uh, Sopranos, uh, yeah, there were, it was like a who's who of, uh, character, uh, character actors who ended up in the Sopranos. Edie Falco's in it, Frank Vincent. Yeah, I was like, and it was watching all of those come by was like, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, kind of interesting. Um, but Noah Emmerich too, who was in, uh, uh, the Truman Show is where I, where I most notably know him from, but, um, Copland was, it was great. It was really interesting for me to see because they on Paramount Plus, this sort of description from the movie was listed as um, uh, from the director of Ford v. Ferrari. Now, Copland came out in 1997. Ford v. Ferrari came out like, I feel like two, three years ago. And uh, so it's kind of interesting to think of this like movies last forever Movies are running, you know, to think of a streaming service as like a movie theater with a thousand rooms, you know, and, and where movies sort of live in perpetuity there and they run at this, they have a run that they do with this streaming service. And the idea that somebody's director credit can be like sort of retroactively applied. Now that happened, of course, when movies were coming out on on DVDs and, and stuff like that, people would be like, Oh, you know, this director. And then in parentheses, it would be something they ended up doing later, you know? Um, but it is kind of cool to think about, uh, the idea of a movie being promoted off of the back of a movie that came out later. Um, but Copland, basically the idea is that some NYPD cops have sort of all decided to move to this one town in New Jersey so that they can, uh, exist in some sort of uh, uh, town where uh, cops are treated uh, uh, better or whatever, you know, kind of. A, and uh, Sylvester Stallone plays a deputy who doesn't come from the city. He's from that sort of hometown and he's always wanted to be a cop, but he, uh, he couldn't um, sort of pass some health exams or whatever. So they make him a like a, a local uh, 
deputy of of some kind because he's like a a local uh, hero after having saved this woman. And there's there's all this wonderful nuance to the story, but the long and short of it is the uh, the cops living here in Copland, as they call it, are, are uh, trying to cover up for uh, one of their own that messes up. And Sylvester Stallone's character, and it's a wonderful performance from him. And Sylvester Stallone doesn't get enough credit People who think Sylvester Stallone is a bad actor haven't watched very many Sylvester Stallone movies. He's a phenomenal actor. He's so fantastic. Watch Rocky. Watch fucking First Blood. He's incredible. He's he's amazing. And he's amazing in this movie too. Every time I watch a Sylvester Stallone... Now, I'm not to say I haven't seen bad Sylvester Stallone movies, okay? I've watched over the top. Um, but... This wasn't one of them. I thought he did a, a fantastic job in this movie. And uh, he his character ultimately sort of has to choose between whatever it is cops are doing and actual justice. And he ends up choosing actual justice eventually in the end and sort of... And there's, a, you know, there's action. There's a shootout sort of at the end or whatever. But most of it's a drama. And... uh very, very good. I thought it was a very strong um, movie. I was really glad that I got to watch it and a, a fun story to get sort of enthralled in. It is going back to it. It's interesting splitting up Dune into two parts. It's kind of hard to judge the story of Dune uh, because it's half the story. It's not even the whole story. So, I mean, that's what kind of exciting. Like maybe by the time we get through Dune part two, I'll be like, now I understand it, you know, assuming it's assuming there's not a Dune part three, which maybe there is. I think it's fascinating that they intend they're doing this wicked movie based on the Broadway musical and they're intending to split it into two parts. I think that's a fascinating move. I think it's going to be rough waters, although I don't know. Wonka did really well, which is awful. It's fucking awful that it did so well. I'm mad about how well it did. Because I sit there and I go, they're putting out a, a a Willy Wonka origin story movie. Like how bereft of ideas do you have to be before you put out a Willy Wonka origin story movie? Hopefully the public will reject this and they will... Just fucking make some new ideas. But instead, it fucking did really well at the fucking box office. So now we're, you know, it's like the the groundhog scene is shadow. Now we're going to get a, a fucking... God, I don't even know, dude. Just endless stupid prequel origin stories about... Han Solo's of their respective franchises, dude. And I'm not looking forward to it. But, you know, Wicked's at least like an actual Broadway musical. And I think the decision to split it into two parts is a... Um, a decision to watch two movies not do very well at the box office on account of how... How rough musicals have had it lately. But we'll see. Hopefully they're both great. Uh, my girlfriend, of course, is... Uh, 
wild about it, so ready for it. So I'm, you know, I'm ready to go and see it. I'm excited about it. I'm going to go. I'm just going to talk about this later, but I'm going to go this weekend, this coming weekend and see that Bob Marley movie. I, that's going to be a stinky theater. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what they could do with the life of Bob Marley. There is a wonderful, fascinating, fresh biopic to be made of that man's life. Is that the movie they're going to make? Probably not. But it's there if they want to make that movie. We will see. I'm excited for it. I hope that it's playing in IMAX so that I can go and see it in IMAX next weekend. That is my hope. But then again, we shall see. But I was down at the Cinemagic this past weekend. I was in town. I had nothing to do. I was like, you know what? Go to the movies. So I went to the movies. I got there around 3 p.m. I wanted to see the next movie that we'll talk about. But I got there at 3 p.m. and there was not a nearby showing. It was waiting an hour in most cases. And I I didn't want to do that. If I thought more about it, I could have maybe like gone to the pizza, the pizzeria that's right there. And like plotted a different course through the movie so that I could have seen. Because there were a couple of like Oscar contenders or whatever. I got a lot of people pounding down my door being like, you should watch all the Oscar movies or whatever. All the movies that are nominated for Oscar. Again, I've, I've been over that. I don't. Some of those movies I, I have no interest in seeing. I don't want to spend three and a half hour movies. Three and a half hours watching Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't want to do. I, and I don't. I don't really want to watch Oppenheimer either. So I, and those are like the two big ones and then everything else is, you know, the holdovers and stuff like that. And, um, American fiction looks somewhat interesting. If American fiction had been in the playable path, I would have done it, but I wanted to go to watch the next movie we'll talk about. But before then I had to watch something that was on at 3 PM. So I went and saw 2023's popular theory. Popular theory is a movie for children. Um, and it was either that or a movie that was clearly for children. And all I had to go off because it was like a, a CGI, like, um, talking animal movie, which uh, probably might've been better. I mean, popular theory is a three star kids movie all day. It's pretty good. I like mostly that it's very pro science throughout the whole movie. And, uh, and it, 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 it I felt like it had good messages or whatever, but like it, it wasn't trying to be anything profound and it, it certainly wasn't. It was a, a fun little kids movie for, it was for children and I went and I watched the movie and it was fine, a fine way to pass the time. And it was enjoyable enough, you know, again, it's good. It's three stars. If, if that's the type of movie you're looking for, but for me, you know, I was like, Oh, this is a kid's movie for kids, you know, playing at 3 PM on a Saturday. I, you know, I guess I kind of got that. And I just wish something else had been playing at 3 p.m., but nothing was, and I was there. So I went in and I watched Popular Theory. And uh, I had to find enough time with it. Uh, the plot in general is... Uh, these two like genius-level intellect kids that are going to high school um, develop a special uh, chemical that releases... Uh, it hides a lot behind 
pheromone pseudoscience. But basically, it, it releases such uh, uh, potent pheromones that it makes you instantly popular with everybody who has the ability to smell them. And uh, that's the whole plot of the movie. Sort of hijinks ensue, as it were. The movie about friendship. I like that it was about friendship. I like um, friendship. But, uh, you know, it's fine. Three stars. It was okay. But I, I wanted to see Lisa Frankenstein, which was, you know, the poster said in theaters this Valentine's Day. I saw this movie on the 10th of February. It's distinctly not Valentine's Day. So I don't know if they dropped it a week early or whatever. Lisa Frankenstein, I wanted to see. It's directed by Zelda Williams. Zelda Williams is the uh, daughter of comedic uh, cinematic legend Robin Williams of Jumanji fame, of Good Morning Vietnam fame, of Mrs. Doubtfire fame, of stand-up comedy fame. What else? Of genie fame. You know, perhaps the voice and the man that changed voice acting as an industry. Um, his sort of stunt casting in Aladdin paying off to the degree that it did really put steam behind the idea of not hiring voice actors and hiring professional actors to voice act your stuff. Is that a, a, a positive impact on the industry? Eh, maybe uh, in some cases it certainly worked out. I mean, Jack black, you know, but other people would argue that it hasn't necessarily been a positive thing at all times. But Robin Williams is the, is the start Robin Williams, a, a, a genius and a wonderful, uh, uh, a fantastic actor. Uh, anytime I've seen him in something, I've been like, God, he's so fucking good. And so I wanted to see Zelda Williams as a, as a director. It was very enticing to me. I come to find out this was written by Diablo Cody too, Lisa Frankenstein. The title being a, a, a dual reference, both to Frankenstein and Lisa Frank, a, uh, uh, popular, uh, of fame from the eighties. And the movie, uh, does include both of those things, both a, sort of a Frankenstein story and a lot of 1980s neon, which I felt was done in, uh, uh the set design and cinematography very ta- very good very tasteful the whole movie fucking ruled uh, uh lisa frankenstein is a four-star movie i'll take that to my grave uh i think uh the movie took so many fun exciting turns the performances i thought were fucking great um throughout the film i had so much fun with the movie i feel like the movie was having fun with itself like I thought it was going to zig and then it zagged and it zagged for no other reason than wouldn't it be fucking funny if it did. Um, Outrageous. And again, I think this is the movie that I was like, wow, this is so Beetlejuice in so many ways from a, 
a willingness to play with the tone and all of that stuff. I thought it was really, really good. I hope, you know, of the movies that I, the two movies that I saw in the theater, of kind of all the movies that I saw this week, Elisa Frankenstein, I think is the one that you should go and see. And, and honestly, like eighth grade, eighth grade is, uh, an outlier here. It's a, it's a fantastic five-star movie. But I, I think I maybe like Lisa Frankenstein more than uh, more than any movie I saw this week, for sure. You know, even the things, you know, all of them had stuff that was profound about it. And Lisa Frankenstein, I think, is a four-star film because, I, again, I, I don't think it's pro- uh, profound. I think it's a great starting point um, for uh, Zelda Williams. I think she really understood the script in a really wonderful way and... I loved it. I, I really, really thought the film was great. Four stars. Um, you know, it didn't make me cry or or uh, change my perspective or amaze me in any way, but I had so much fun with it. And I think if you get the opportunity to go and see it, you should go and see it. I saw it at the Cinemagic. I had a great time with it. And I got home. And again, the Mario Puzo thing from Superman had inspired me. To sit down and watch The Godfather, part one, which is just called The Godfather. What can I say about The Godfather that hasn't been said? Uh, it's great. It's a four-star movie, I think, The Godfather. If I had to rally any criticism against The Godfather, I think, again, it feels like a biopic. Like, things just happen this story doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere in particular it just feels like it's going you know it isn't really about any particular event like it it kind of tries to cover these entire people's lives it feels like again it feels like a biopic and um i left the movie feeling like i wish it was more focused on something on saying something doing something um, on finishing a story for a particular character. And it doesn't really do that for anybody. It's, you know, because it's, there's going to be more, but unlike, unlike kind of modern movies where they would find a story to tell in the first one, this feels like a part, like a, a first episode of a series. And I didn't love that. I don't typically love that in movies. I want there to be more to watch in the sequels, but I, I like it when the movie itself sort of rounds off to being its own thing. And I, I don't know that I feel that way about The Godfather. But I liked it a lot. I You know, the performances are fantastic. And, um, and I think the writing's really pretty good. Pacino is kind of across the board really good in so many things. But... Uh, you know, this is the 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 role that he will probably be most remembered for. Is him uh, playing uh, this role? So, um, Michael Corleone. There we go. Of course, when I'm under pressure to remember it, that's when I can't remember it. But Michael Corleone, he does a great job, uh, and I think the movie's really good. But I want to get on to talking about our Tubi movie of the week, which was the last movie that I watched this week. I got around to it yesterday on Sunday. Um, 
Goon is what we watched. Sean William Scott's Goon. Watch this movie, dude. Oh my God, I liked this movie so much more than I thought I was going to. I thought it was going to be Sean William Scott being Sean William Scott, exuding dirtbag energy, uh, being a smart aleck, you know? Instead, he's playing completely against type in this movie in sort of like hockey Rocky is sort of the idea here. There's a lot more sort of comedy elements to it, like mid 2000s, like, or, or 2010s, uh, comedy movie. Um, but his character is this absolutely lovable empty head. Um, He's kind to everybody. He cares for everybody. His heart's absolutely in the right place. He's dumb as shit. It's Rocky. It's Rocky. It's just Rocky, but with hockey. And I'm, again, I don't like that those two words rhyme the way that they do, but they do. Um, I really, I had such a good time with this movie and I loved this character so much which is kind of a theme for this week, but I just, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be friends with him. I wanted, you know, watching this movie. And there were so many brilliant comedy moments that come from the character that Sean William Scott is playing here that he put together. uh, And maybe that's all in the script or, or they sort of happened upon this character together and and they were like oh man that, that this would be how they would react and stuff very funny god so fucking funny and um yeah i loved it i i really really liked the goon four stars for the goon on tubi um fantastic i was so, i very happy that i got to watch that movie and and Hopefully, I will find it out in the wild somewhere on a DVD. I think it's a DVD movie. I think a Blu-ray of The Goon is overkill. Um, But I think it's a surefire $5 DVD buy when I get the opportunity. Um, But that was all the movies that I watched this week. 62 movies as of the 12th of February. That's exciting to me and we got another week ahead that we can continue to move forward towards the goal of 366 i we have this thing on the show we have a 366 championship it goes out to the best movie that i've seen so far this year and even though the stars don't support it the one that the the movie that currently has it i believe as of this time and I'm going to check because I cannot be trusted. Yes, I'm certain of it now. The movie that has it right now is Diabolique still. And it's tough because Diabolique is a spectacular movie. But I'm changing hands on the title today as of uh, 212 2024 the new 366 champion is Lisa Frankenstein go out and see this movie have a blast get rocked when things take a turn 
that uh, are uh, is wild. You will have a great time with this movie. I love this movie. Lisa Frankenstein. Go and see it. Brand new in the theater. Um, that's our 366 championship uh, winner right now. Our champion is uh, Lisa Frankenstein. Fantastic movie. But we're going to spin the wheel. I, I added a movie to the wheel. I decided now when I start doing, when I add things to the wheel, um, I want to talk a little bit about them, about why I added them. In most cases, I, I kind of try to trade off every week between adding something because it looks ridiculous and silly and adding things because it's a legitimately like great movie reportedly. And uh, Tubi has it. I try to highlight the swath of material um, that uh, Tubi has to offer. And boy, they have some stuff, let me tell you. Um, But last week I added Do the Right Thing. And everybody that reached out to me, thank you for reaching out to me if you reached out to me, was so like, hell yeah, Do the Right Thing. I can't wait for it to come up on the wheel. That movie rules. I can't wait for you to see it. I love that movie. So that ended up being a good pick, but I like to kind of alternate that with absolute uh, weird trash with hilarious names. And that's why I added to the wheel this week, nude nuns with big guns. Um, Guarantee. I would assume at this point of violence and nudity. Two things I'm a big fan of. So I wanted to add it uh, to uh, to the wheel. We're going to spin the wheel in a minute, but I want to make one thing clear before we spin the wheel. It's fucking weird that nobody swears in The Godfather, dude. It doesn't make any sense to me. The movie's rated R anyway, on top of it. It's worth noting. But it's, it's bizarro land and kind of... Uh, breaks the whole immersion of the experience that none of these Italian people are swearing at each other in the entire movie. Nobody does it. Nobody swears at anyone. The guys don't swear at each other. The guys certainly don't swear in front of the women that I would understand the whole honor thing, blah, 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 blah. But there's no swearing in the whole movie. It's like they live in a weirdo world where swearing doesn't exist. And, uh, it's dumb. Because the movie is abhorrent in so many ways. It's egregiously violent. But nobody says any bad words. Because God forbid, while they're murdering each other, somebody says, fuck. Um, it's weird. It's really weird. And in when I think about that movie, I think, that's kind of weird. And nobody swears in the whole movie. Anyway, I wanted to make that point before... Before we move on, I'm not looking forward to an entire second half of this story. Not second half, second third of the story where again, nobody's swearing. I know these people would swear if this was real, but instead they live in fake attempted PG 13 world that doesn't pay off anyway. Cause it's still rated R where, uh, uh, nobody swears at each other despite being very Italian and also being very, they're criminals, but they don't say fuck at each other. It's it's weird or shit or hell or damn or any of that stuff. Like it's just not in the, in the movie, but fuck specifically. 
isn't in there. It's very strange. To this day, I think that's very strange. But anyway, we're going to spin the wheel. I hope you're ready for it. Me, I hope New Nuns with Big Guns gets picked first week. I hope the wheel sees that and they're like, dude, that's what we're doing for sure. But it could be any of these movies and I'm looking forward to what could happen. When we find out on the wheel, I will read the synopsis of the movie, which I'm excited to do. But here we go. We're going to spin. The movie this week is called Runaway Train, which I believe was a first week pick. It's been on there for a while. Tubi, tell me about Runaway Train. Oh, geez. This looks exciting. Runaway, is this the correct Runaway Train? Okay. There's only one on the whole. Oh, there's a movie on here called Punk Rock. That's interesting. Man, Tubi. It's full of treasure. Also trash. Um, Runaway Train, 1985. Two prison escapees hop a train during the dead of winter. But they're right. Whoa! That's a tiger, baby. That's the, uh, that's not a tiger. It's a lion. Uh, <laughs> fuck. Scared the shit out of me. Two prison escapees hop a train during the dead of winter, but their ride suits soon speeds out of control and freedom gets further out of reach. Makes sense. Thriller action, 1985. Who's in this? John Voight? Eric Roberts? Oh, gross. Rebecca de Mornay? Bunch of people I've never heard of. I bet Eric Roberts plays the bad guy. We'll see. That kind of seems what he is always doing in a movie. Hmm. So we've got our movie, Runaway Train. We're looking forward to another week here on the podcast. I'm way over time on this one. Oh, well. Whatever. Enjoy. Extra time to talk about the movies. But I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go watch some movies. I'll see you next week. All the links are in the des- the description to everything. Instagram. Letterbox, email, all that stuff. So go and check it out. And uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, sin every day.